Join Global Genes and the Orphan Disease Center at the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine for the annual Rare Drug Development Symposium, June 6th and 7th in Philadelphia. The symposium will focus on the drug development process and is designed to connect, educate, and inspire rare disease advocates. To learn more, go to globalgenes.org forward slash RDDS. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. One reason for the extended diagnostic odyssey that rare disease patients face is that doctors are often unfamiliar with the rare conditions they may have. In addition, doctors are trained to think of the likeliest explanation for a patient's symptoms, which may be similar to those of more common diseases. London-based Mendelian is working to bring machine learning to the rare disease diagnostic process as a way to identify patients whose symptoms may suggest they have an underlying rare genetic disease and provide a path forward to finding an answer. We spoke to Rudy Benfredi, co-founder and CEO of Mendelian, about the diagnostic challenge rare disease patients face, the company's platform technology, and whether he thinks we'll see an end to the diagnostic odyssey anytime soon. Rudy, thanks for joining us. Thanks. Thanks for having me. We're going to talk about the Diagnostic Odyssey, your company Mendelian, and how you're using technology to speed the diagnosis of patients with rare disease. Let's start with the problem. How difficult a time do rare disease patients have getting a diagnosis today? Oh, wow. So, um, look, it's, it's always difficult to have, uh, you know, very clear numbers on this because we never know how many patients are actually undiagnosed rare diseases have a lot of undiagnosed patients. And for instance, where I live here in the UK, the, num- the, the, the figures that uh, we usually use and that we see in the papers is, is that on average, it takes seven years for patients to get a correct diagnosis. And uh, I say correct because it's important to understand, obviously, that during these seven years, these patients are going to receive many incorrect diagnoses, many misdiagnoses, many wrong treatments or wrong lab tests that the numerous doctors that they're going to see throughout this journey are going to give them. So we're talking about seven years on average, which is very long. And why is it so difficult for doctors to accurately diagnose these patients? Yeah, look, I think there are a few reasons. I mean, first of all, the nature of rare diseases, you know, it's very difficult. You know, rare diseases are are rare, obviously, individually per disease. So the chance that the doctor that you're seeing has seen a patient like you before is very slim. Um, And it's also said as well that, you know, the clinical patterns that uh, doctors usually use in order to detect and to diagnose are a bit off with, with rare diseases. These diseases are multi-systemic, they're very progressive in some cases, which means that, you know, the symptoms will appear in, uh, during a long time and you'll get to have several specialists 
that would really have their own biases and that would look only at, at, at system in silos rather than to use and look at the global picture. And so I think, you know, there's several factors, but, the, but these would be the ones, the main ones that, that um, really accentuates the problem. And from a patient, a, a payer, a provider, a, a societal point of view, what's the consequence of having so many undiagnosed patients? Well, look, I mean, the, the, the first thing we need to, to look at is on the patient outcome. Uh, you, you have to, to, to know, obviously, that you know, when you don't diagnose a patient, the condition will worsen for this patient in most cases. Whether there's a treatment or not, it's not that much about treatment. It's also just about, you know, symptom management and, you know, even mental health issues that all of these patients may have because, you know, a lot of patients... Their doctors believe that, that they're just um, saying nonsense because they, they, they can't find a diagnosis. So first of all, you have to, to look at how much this would help the patient and what the, how much the patient outcome would be improved. Um, then if, if you look a little bit further at the, at, the, at the perspective of the health providers, as you say, or, or anyone who is providing care, then obviously, yes, you get to feel that there's a lot of wasted resources, wasted management. Um, that, that is happening to these patients because then it takes too long. So um, there are really two aspects to, to what we do on, on the patient side with the doctors as well. You know, it allows them to do their, their job better and to care for their patients better. And also at the management side, um, obviously a lot of, of cost is, is just wasted. I think many people look at next generation sequencing as being the answer, but I think many people would be surprised that even with whole genome sequencing, many patients remain undiagnosed. What's the challenge? Yeah, you're very right. You're very right. I think the diagnostic yield, uh, you know, sometimes up to 50, 60% even with whole genome in large cohorts, which are, you know, good numbers and encouraging numbers, but it, it's still not there yet. It's not the 90%, 100% what we would like to see. So um, clearly there is a challenge there. Look, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to say, you know, indeed, uh, whole genome sequencing is, is coming and there's so, so much more information that we get today from, from a genome, but we, we, we don't get it all. There's still a lot of things happening, uh, probably in the non-coding regions that we don't have, you know, great, um, great, um, insights on. Um, so, so I think it's partly technology and also partly, you know, some of these diseases are completely unknown. There's still a lot of unknown mutations unknown um, variants, so it's, it's hard. It's, it's very difficult to get to a very high diagnostic yield, even with the whole genome. You're applying machine learning to the challenge of diagnosing rare disease patients. Can you describe what's meant by the term machine learning, and, and why do you see that as a solution? Yeah, look, um, machine learning is, is really an umbrella term for loads of different types of technology. And I think in rare disease particularly, machine learning is, is quite a tricky one because, you know, we get to usually when, when we talk about machine learning, we have this vision, okay, we're going to train the algorithm. We're going to give a lot of examples. We're going to provide a lot of sample data, and then we're going to let the algorithm learn, and then we're going to let the algorithm predict for the next time we, we, we show data that doesn't have a, a, a patient, for instance, that doesn't have a diagnosis. But in rare disease, we have to be careful with this approach because so we don't have enough sample data per disease. It's not a game that we're going to win this way. Uh, you know, for diseases that have prevalence in one in a million or, or one in, 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 in 500,000 sometimes, uh, it's very it's very difficult to find a, a big enough data set to just, you know, use 
machine learning approaches that, that, that we get to hear a lot about. And so we have to be clever in the way that we do this. We have to start thinking maybe, you know, a little bit deeper into what, what the underlying biology really is and try to teach, if I can say, the, the models and, and learn different ways, different things than just, you know, what are the expressions of that disease and what does it look like and then try to replicate that model to other patients. It doesn't really work this way. So it, it, it's good. It, it's kind of a, it's a nice barrier to entry for us. It's a challenge, but at least, you know, we get to think a little bit differently about how to apply technology in rare disease. I think it's a good opportunity for, for as well, you know, computer scientists to, 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 to look at this problem with, with different type of machine learning and different type of technology. And, and take a step back. How, how did Mendelian come about? What led to its creation? Yeah, so, you know, we, we got very interested at first with, with the genetic aspect of it all because we felt that there was a, a clear information challenge. Um, you know, we were hearing a lot about rare diseases, but what everyone was saying was that rare diseases was very difficult to diagnose. And, you know, with whole genome sequencing and with um, gene therapies that everyone is, is talking about, if we don't diagnose these patients, there's no, there's no hope to put them through treatment. So we, we took this approach of saying, okay, if we really want to solve the problem, we, we first have to find these patients. And in order to find these patients, we first have to describe these diseases in the right way and in a scalable way and being able to, to know, recognize these patterns. And, and very quickly we got into, you know, the very, the, the interesting challenge of diagnosing patients that were extremely difficult to diagnose the undiagnosed patients. And so we did this whole process while the company was founded by a very complementary team. There was a doctor, a neurologist that was at the hospital and was seeing patients every day and was very frustrated about the fact that they could not, that, that he could not diagnose them all. And there's a computer scientist, myself, and this is a, more of a business person. So it was a very nice kind of team of engineers, of doctors, and of business people who really kind of realized there was a, a clear problem and that there was something that we could solve thanks to our skills. You, on your website, have sections for patients, payers, physicians, providers, drug developers, all at the same time. Who's the customer and, and what's the business model? Yeah, sure. So look, we, we, we're, we're quite early still, but we, we have a very holistic view of how to tackle the, the challenge and, and the problem of rare disease diagnosis. So we, we get contacted and, you know, everyone knocks at the door because everyone's interested in rare disease and, and, and often drug development. So we, we had to have something for pharma. We have to have something with, for, for the NHS and for the health providers. But really what we're very focused on at the moment is, is the health providers, is making sure that you know, the NHS, for instance, which is the biggest, uh, you know, health provider in, in, in the world, in the public, uh, public health provider in the world, that they get to find these patients as early as possible in the clinical pathway and by diagnosing them early, save on the cost of management for these patients. And if they manage, and, and, if, and if they manage to do this, then we win as well. So it's, it's, it's a very simple kind of Gain shared model where if they manage to save, we, we will take a cut from this. So how does how does the diagnosis work? How, how does your how do your tools help get answers for for patients? Yeah, so 
look, the, the, the best way to describe it is we use phenotypic information to construct um, some sort of a, of, a, of a differential diagnosis that we can then analyze and recommend um, particular diseases or particular pathway in, in the rare disease space. So we don't use any genetic data. We, we're much earlier in the pathway for this. We just look at symptoms, signs and symptoms. So we get the description of patients, either the doctors are entering it, either we get it from their electronic medical record, depending on where really we, we, we play within the pathway for different customers. And then we will suggest or flag diseases that are more likely to be, you know, the one positive of the symptoms and the find that were entered. What, what are the range of inputs? Are you looking at any kind of uh, biomarkers? Are you looking at imaging or is it just medical record type symptoms? No, it's mostly medical record types. Yes, it's, it's mostly signs and, and symptoms. Text um, can be structured or unstructured text. We've done a lot of work trying to really kind of you know, merge all of these ontologies together and make sure that, that they make sense. But it, it's mostly text, yeah. Uh, earlier this year, you got a $644,000 grant that's 500 pounds from the UK's National Health Service. What's that for and, and how that's going to be used? Yeah, that was, a, that was really great news. And um, the, the, the main reason we, we got this and the premise behind this, this grant was to try and apply this in, into the NHS. So that, that's what we're doing right now. And we're deploying our technology into a small a GP practice, and and I think that's really what 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 the the the, the key point here is, is is you know GP don't know much about rare diseases, and understandably we're not expecting you know GPs to know about eight thousand diseases, but uh, we we have this idea where we think that the earlier you grab these patients, the earlier you diagnose these patients, then the better outcome um, you'll get for the patients. So we, we started looking at how we what we could do in the primary care side, and that's what the grant was for. It's an, an investigation and a study on what we could do in primary care, and then a deployment of a tool for primary care setting that would diagnose patients much faster. Are there regulatory issues you face? Is, is your system considered a diagnostic tool, and a, as such, what have you had to do to, to validate it? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Look, we, we have a lot of, of um, processes now in, in place that ensure that we are very compliant with these things. So um, we're chatting, you know, it's a, it's a very, we have a very good relationship with the NHS and, and we're making sure that, that we do this in, in the right way. It's, it's tricky because, you know, there's a still a gray area in, in, in the way that all of these, uh, you know, the data is being used and there's a lot of different um, components to it are, are at play here. But it's, it's, it's pretty, we're pretty confident on, on that. We've been working on it since day one. And so it's been a, a priority for us since the beginning. And, and have you done things to validate the, the system? Yeah, sure. So what we do is we validate it on small sample data, basically. We, we get a small set, 10,000, 100,000, and we just gradually increase the number of patients that we're testing on. And then we, we come up with a benchmark, and that allows us to, to communicate on, on how good we are depending on the diseases, depending on, on very different features and different sets of components that we're looking at. And is there something done to improve the system as it goes, as, as something that's machine learning? Is there constant new inputs to, to better the accuracy of the system? 
Yeah, so look, I mean, internally, obviously, there's always efforts to improve the system and to make sure that the accuracy gets uh, higher and higher. But then, as I'm sure you're aware, when you start implementing and when you start deploying into large systems, such as the NHS or any other health providers, um, you know, you have restrictions in the way that you, you can change your technology. And, and there's these systems of lockdown when you have to make sure that, you know, the, the system as it is needs to stay this way because this is what you're benchmarking, this is what you trust, and this is the accuracy that you want to go for. So we, we have to adapt to this, but it doesn't mean that we're stopping on the efforts of improving the technology and, and, and getting, you know, better at this. You know, it, it strikes me that the, one of the biggest challenges rare disease patients face is getting doctors to even think in terms of rare diseases because their symptoms often present like very common symptoms to many diseases. And by training, they're, they're taught not to think in terms of rare disease. What do you think the system will do in terms of, of opening that thought path to them? Yeah, I totally agree with you. I, I think that's very true. And, and I think that's also one of the, of the key challenges. Uh, for, for us, we, we try and take a, a different approach, right, to, to, to solve this and say, okay, we, really, we can't wait for the doctor to believe that they have a rare disease in front of them. What we need to do is to put it in front of them until when we're, we're pretty sure that this patient has breached some sort of threshold that you know, they should be investigated for rare disease. So we're not really expecting the doctors to, to think about, about that uh, at first. And, and we're trying to go the other way around by being invisible at first, you know, and say, okay, we'll look at the clinical records and we'll alert the doctor if, if there's something that's worth investigation or that warrants further investigation for that patient. And hopefully by doing this and coupling it with, of course, a lot of education about these rare diseases, making sure that the doctors are up to date, with the research and, and providing the, the right information at the right time, then GPs are very good at this. You know, they, they need to know so much about their patients, but they're very good at getting information and, you know, kind of find what the actionable steps are for at a particular state. And what do you think it will take to deploy this broadly in a way that it helps patients find answers? Um... Look, I think, I think we're really in, in the beginning of, 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 of something that's going to work. <laughs> that's how I see it. I'm, I'm quite enthusiastic about, I'm, I'm quite optimist, I would say, on, on, on all the solutions that I hear in the rare disease space. You know, the rare disease space is, is incredible. The patients sometimes know much more that, that, than their doctors about their disease. We, we call them super patients. So they're, they're really kind of helping us and, and pushing. We've got in contact with so many patient advocacy groups that, you know, come to us and, and, and trying to help us um, to, to tackle the problem. So I, I think it, it's going to take time, but, but we, we, we are in the right direction. I mean, I also live in, you know, in London, in, in the UK, and there's so much effort within um, the, our, our country here to, to, to push these initiatives. You know, we have the 100,000 Genome Project that started a couple of years back. The new rare disease initiative just got published in the February. So it, it, there's a lot of, of push I know as well that in, in Europe, there's been a massive new rare disease initiative. Um, and, and in France, there's a, the, the, the new plan for uh, genetic and, and rare diseases uh, starting by the end of the year. So, so we can really feel that, you know, there, there's definitely momentum and something happening in this space. And how hopeful are you that we'll see the end of the diagnostic odyssey uh, anytime soon? 
that's a, that's a difficult question. I don't know if I would venture giving giving dates or, or numbers, but but I can say that I'm sh- I, I I'm pretty hopeful and pretty sure that the numbers will will start you know decreasing in terms of of time. Um, you know, technology solutions is getting there. It's getting better and better, and so I think that that would be a, the the most kind of hopeful note. Rudy Benfredi. Co-founder and CEO of Mendelian. Rudy, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.